Hey doll faces! Before we get into today's episode, Paige and I want to announce we've finally launched our Patreon! Yeah, we have! And if you're wondering what Patreon is, let me tell ya. Patreon's a great way for Friends of Near Death Dolls podcast to help support the show. That's right, and for being an above and beyond supporter, you get some cool ass perks. Perky perks! Like getting a shout out in an episode, access to our research, access to our Dolly Discord community, and Dolls After Dark, our bonus conversation show where nothing is off limits. So head over to patreon.com slash near death dolls podcast to check it out. We'll also have our link in the episode notes. And now on to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 22 of Near Death Dolls. I'm Paige. And I'm Lisa. And we are your hosties with the mosties. While talking about ghosties. And other blue suede shoes shit. Wow, that sounded so good, Paige. (laughs) (laughs) Did that sound like Elvis? It really did. Man, you could be a female Elvis impersonator. Okay, I love his jumpsuits. I'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Paige is covering the murder of the Grimes sisters. I don't know anything about this. Nothing. You're about to learn more than you ever thought possible. No, I'm just kidding. It's just <laughs> it's an interesting case. I think we'll have a good time. Uh, but before we get started, I wanted to ask a favor of our lovely listeners. Would you please take a quick second to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, pretty please? Even if it's just a quick, hey, love it, awesome, keep up good work, whatever you want to put, and put some stars, hopefully five of them. And then we definitely want to continue to grow, and if you can put a review, it'll tell other people why they might like it. So you're helping us grow. You're amazing that way. Thank you. Totally. Please (laughs) continue to put things to help us grow (laughs) (laughs) yes please thank you we'd like to say a special thank you to our newest patreons who all subscribed at our zombie tier first i'd like to thank brian brian is uh, a really awesome fan of the show he is our very first 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 uh to sign up in our patreon he uh also suggested our uh, last urban legend for rhode island Uh, as that is his home state, and he sent me a lot of cool stuff about Rhode Island uh, today, and yes, they actually all love coffee milk. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) And he also said that uh, the the convention center in Rhode Island is the, um, or in, I think, Providence, is the Dunkin' Donuts Center, (laughs) because they have the donuts shops on every corner, so that's awesome. You can find him on Instagram. It's bblanchett70 on Instagram. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for your support. Our next Patreon is Steve Porter of Steve Porter Photography on Instagram. I recommend you guys checking him out. Steve's got some really cool shots of a lot of different things, but it seems like he focuses on like cool concert shots and up close uh, photography of the main singer and thing like that. So I recommend Mm -hmm. checking out Steve Porter. He's got a cool Instagram yeah absolutely thank you steve for your support next we have elizabeth 
Elizabeth uh, on Instagram is Lizzie B's underscore crochet underscore stuffies and she crochets the most darling little stuffed animals and I have to say I instantly became a fan of hers when I saw her baby Yodas oh my gosh they're so cute like I my know. cheeks are burning with how cute they are I know it's like a, they're so cute I'm angry <laughs> <laughs> well calm your jets she uh definitely go check her out Lizzie it's l-i-z-z-i-e B-E-E-S underscore crochet underscore stuffies makes the cutest just oh so cute and lots of different animals and I, I think she did a Batman that was pretty bitchin if I do say so myself <laughs> <laughs> nice awesome thank you Elizabeth for your support thanks Elizabeth our last Patreon for today to shout out is Kimberly you can find Kimberly on Instagram at Darcy's mom and Kimberly likes to listen to our episodes while grading papers. So thank you for supporting us and supporting America's youth. I appreciate it. You rock, Kimberly. But before we begin the tale of the Grimes sisters, Lisa, what is wetting your whistle this fine evening? Let me tell you, Paige. Please do. <laughs> okay, so I am drinking, inspired by you, actually. Um, what? Because I know you were on a lemonade kick, right? Oh, totally. Oh, my God. So, and then you also had, what was it, the Deep Eddie vodka? Deep Eddie, that's right. <laughs> so I looked through my medicine cabinet that is also my liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best medicine. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So I mixed <laughs> lemonade with uh, the Deep Eddie sweet tea vodka. So I have a spiked Arnold Palmer. Ooh, girl. That sounds delicious. It's the Deep Eddie. Mm-hmm. That's the brand. Nice. And then it's their sweet tea vodka. I got to try that. I wonder if they ha they sell it over here, maybe at like a actual liquor store. Yes, probably at an actual liquor store. And in California, correct me if I'm wrong, you can buy hard liquor in a grocery store, right? Yes. Like, ugh, I'm so jealous. Can you buy on Sundays? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I need to get out of Texas. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, what do you mean? Yes, of course you can. Oh, I forgot that you can't in Texas. <laughs> yeah, in Texas, you cannot buy hard liquor. Like, liquor stores are not open um, on Sundays. Oh you, can, you can't buy beer, wine, or anything. Like, grocery stores have beer, wine, stuff like that, cocktail mixers. But you can't buy beer or wine before noon on Sundays either. Like, I'm like, really? What? I'm like, people go and drink whenever they're going to drink. Right. Why why bo why bother making it a, a time restriction if it's going to mm -hmm. just pee before noon? <laughs> yeah, I don't. So maybe you have to go to church first and that'll kill some time yeah. before you go to the yeah, liquor they're, store. They're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, you have to earn your liquor. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'd love to hear from you listeners. Like, what's the laws in your state? Do you have dry counties um, or anything like that or time restrictions or days that, you know? can't have alcohol like can't buy alcohol uh, and also I think the only thing you can do is I think depending if you're in or out of city limits you can have uh, mimosas starting at 10 o'clock I think at the restaurants at restaurants yes so oh. yeah you can have you can be served I think after 10 o'clock at a restaurant that's doing brunch um, oh, on Sundays okay. but uh, other than that no can't oh my purchase goodness, a bottle of crazy of hard stuff so. so i'm enjoying my sunday cocktail 
Now that sounds lovely. It's a nice, uh, it sounds like a very summery cocktail. It's very summery, very enjoyable. Paige, what is wetting your whistle? Very wet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I am drinking a vegan white Russian. Explain. So it, it might not even be technically called a white Russian. I believe white Russians have to have vodka. Am I wrong? I mean, I can Google it. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want, totally fine. Uh, I used to make white Russians with my friends and we would put like, um, oh, whatever kind of crazy coffee creamer flavor we could find, like salted caramel or peppermint mocha or whatever. Ooh. Yeah, it made such a good white Russian. It was that, the coffee creamer, coffee, Kahlua, and Bailey's, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm all mixed and that was just that was awesome that was a really good cocktail i loved a white russian but a lot of milk in there so you can't have it as a vegan (laughs) i guess not no yeah kalua is vegan if for anybody out there who is sad they can't have kalua anymore you can kalua is vegan bailey's is not so no bailey's but i did use a soy uh i i did a soy milk today just to try it out as the cream instead of you know actual milk cream mm-hmm. so i got soy milk kalua and coffee with a just a pinch of sugar stirred up in it and it's tasty i like it that sounds good so a traditional white russian is um five parts vodka three parts cream and two parts coffee liqueur ah okay okay so um i do not have the vodka but i do have kalua which has rum in it i believe yeah, rum and coffee liqueurs in Kahlua. So I don't know if you could technically call it a vegan white Russian. It's a vegan co- uh, coffee cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that we've got our drinks in our bellies, mm-hmm. let's move on. Let's talk about the Grime Sisters. Before we get started on those particular sisters, I want to give a big shout out and a special thanks to Martina, one of our listeners. Martina is Namaste on Instagram, and they sent us the story of the Grime Sisters, otherwise known as, you know, the German Church Road Mm -hmm. case. Right. And me and Lisa were like, oh, cool, we'll throw that in our urban legends for Illinois. But as I was looking at it, it was way too involved for just a mini episode. Mm -hmm. So this is me trying to do it justice in a full length episode. She said she would, and she's gonna, right now. Sometimes I'm true to my word. (laughs) (laughs) I've only known you to be true to your word. Thank you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. I try. I try, especially with people I care about like you. Aww. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Now that I've uh, told you I care about you, let me tell you about some (laughs) some murders. Yes. That's how. I feel like they're connected. Yeah. (laughs) We have a very strong foundation. We do. You've got to have things in common, and that's all. That's what we've got. We sure do. <laughs> common interests. Um, so, uh, the murder of the Grime Sisters. It starts off. Let's just do a little intro, so because I don't know how many people have actually heard of this. Briefly summed up in December 1956, the Grime Sisters, Barbara and Patricia, went out to see Elvis's new movie, Love Me Tender. But, unfortunately, they never came home afterwards. 
And Barbara and Patricia went missing after they saw the movie, and the investigation to find them and figure out what happened ended up as being one of the largest manhunts in Chicago's history. Oh. At least until that time. And with everybody, everybody in the country was wondering where these girls had gotten up to and including Elvis the Pelvis himself. <laughs> Elvis the Pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's known for, right? Yeah, I feel like I've heard that before, but I don't, it tickles me. <laughs> I didn't know if I'd heard it before or not, but I was like, eh, hey, it rhymes. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. So yeah, Elvis the pelvis was also trying to figure out where they went. So that's how, how widespread this case was back in 1956, 1957. But let's get into it. Let's hear some details. So the Grimes family... The parents of the Grimes family are Joseph and Loretta Grimes, and they had seven children in total. That's a lot. <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> a lot just... of money. A lot of uh, pregnancy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Lots going on. A lot of stress, too. So it actually was um, kind of stressful on them. The two of them divorced in 1945. Oh, wow. Yeah. About 11 years before the Grimes sisters went missing. Um, Loretta got full custody. She was taking care of the kids. Joseph remarried. I'm not sure how much involvement he had with his children after that, but it doesn't seem like he completely disappeared out of their lives. Well, that's good, but I'd be like, here, you take half, I take half. You get three and a half kids, I get three and a half kids. I know, right? Especially <laughs> if he got remarried. It's like, you, you can help. <laughs> you and your new wife can help. <laughs> no kidding. And I, I always wonder what, like, child support was like back then. Like, if she's a single mom right? all of a sudden, seven kids, and she, she probably had to start working if she, had, if she wasn't already. So I kind of wonder, like, what the heck? I hope that he was sending her money. They both had jobs. He was a truck driver. She worked as a clerk in a pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. So they were, and she worked really hard. She was very good. I, From what I've read in this story of Loretta, I think she was a good mom, and I think she did all she could to provide for her kids. Uh, I, I don't have any information to, like, to make her sound bad, but there, it just, it just seems like not a lot of people believe her, and you'll see as we go along. Okay. So the sisters, Barbara and Patricia... Barbara's 15, Patricia's 13 at the time. Young, pretty That's young. so young. And they were inseparable. They were best friends. They loved each other and they loved the hell out of Elvis. Aww, <laughs> something to bond <laughs> over, right? Yeah, they bonded over it. They, they had total crushes. They listened to his music all the time. They loved his movies. I personally don't get it, but I wasn't alive back then. <laughs> yeah, it's like, honestly, like what's... The Beatles, like, I, I'm not from the generation when they were big, so I have a hard time being about them. Like, I have no shame in saying I'm not a fan of the Beatles. Like, some people are like, ah, how could you not love the Beatles? I'm how like, I don't know. How can you that? not love Backstreet Boys? Like, <laughs> Exactly. It's all They're preference, people. That's right. They're both boy bands. <laughs> they, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And I love Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, but I also liked the Beatles. I don't know. I can appreciate classical rock, but classic rock, but you know, it's just not my jam as much. Mm -hmm. But they love, and this, you know, this was contemporary for them. Elvis was 
releasing movies and things like that. So it makes sense that they were into him. There was a lot of girls who were into Elvis at that time. Uh, yes, my name is literally Lisa Marie, okay? So I know. <laughs> oh, really? Is that? <laughs> did they do that on purpose? Uh, no, no, not on purpose, purpose, but... When it came time to naming me, my I think it was my grandfather's like, I like the name Lisa Marie. I think that's pretty. And my mom's like, okay, I can get behind that. My I, my dad's like, okay, I guess. Let's do it. Nice. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful name. I just don't know if they were actually trying to name you after Lisa Marie No, I, I don't think they actually were. I just think they oh, liked the okay. name. I don't think they, I don't know how old she was at the time I was born. She had to probably already been in her like 20s or something act. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I don't either. I don't know. But yeah, so he was a big deal, as yes. you can attest to. Yes. And in Christmas, so this is setting the stage a little bit for what's going on before they go missing. Christmas happened a few days before they went missing, 1956. They'd received several presents that they loved, including a brand new radio. You know, they love Elvis, so what better way to help them listen to him and then a new radio, right? They got to get their fix, their Elvis fix. Exactly. I can imagine these girls probably staying up all night trying to find Elvis songs on their radio. <laughs> yep. <You know. laughs> they just seemed like happy kids. Like they loved their family. There was a close-knit group in their family. They all, you know, would eat dinner together whenever possible. And Loretta knew where her kids were most of the time. Now, the last time she saw her daughters, Barbara and Patricia, was December 28th, 1956. She had made them dinner. The girls had, you know, full bellies. Mm -hmm. And they left home at 7.30 to go see the movie. And the movie was Love Me Tender. I've never seen that one. Have you? I've seen no Elvis um, movies. And really, ah. I haven't heard a lot of his music other than Christmas music. Because it comes on the radio at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> what does what he sing? I can't remember. Uh, he does a couple, but I love his version of uh, Blue Christmas. White Christmas or Blue? Oh, Blue, blue. Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always sing the backup to it. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of his movies either. I think when I was a kid, I watched a couple, but I don't remember liking them enough to want to go watch more. Mm -hmm. But um, so these girls, though, they really loved his movies. And by the time December 28th rolled around, they had already seen Love Me Tender anywhere between 11 and 14 times. I'm not sure exactly how many times they'd seen it. Wow. But that's a lot. Either way, 11 or 14. That's a lot of times to see one movie in the theaters. That seems not only excessive, but I'm like, how much pocket money did they have to be going to the movies that often? <laughs> not many. They did not. Not much. Not much pocket money. But they had saved up some money from Christmas to go see the movie this on December 28th. Okay. I don't know. Maybe their dad sent them some change to go see it before. But yeah, they really, really love the fucking Elvis. And I remember when I was... In 1999, when The Mummy came out, I can kind of relate to them because I saw The Mummy 10 times in theaters. Did you really? I did, 10 times. And most of it was at the Dollar Theater just down the street. Okay. And okay. It was easy to get to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that's okay. You're only paying like $1.50, $1.75 at the Dollar Movies. So. Yeah. And back then it was actually a dollar <laughs> at oh, that yeah. time. <laughs> so was this the was one nice. near our house? No, it was in uh, Katy, Texas. Oh, okay. I was about to say, there's one I think we went to a couple times near, yeah. you know, where we lived in high school. That, I, that one was bomb. I liked that one a lot. I remember when I mean, that was, was a full, yeah, it was dirty, but it was, I remember when that was an actual, like, 
a full priced movie theater. <laughs> yeah, like an actual movie theater. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can't imagine it was very good because it like didn't have stadium seating. Uh. Uh-uh. It was. It yeah. was. Even, it was gross even back then. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we digress. Yeah. It made sense why they turned that into a uh, a dollar theater, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I get it. They loved that movie. They were obsessed. There probably wasn't even that many other movies to go see, and so they were they were in it for at least their f- possibly fifteenth time to go see that. Mm-hmm. And it was showing at Chicago's Brighton Theater for a double showing that night, and they planned to go see it twice since mm-hmm. it was back to back. The theater was 1.5 miles up the road from their house. Not too far. No, it's really not far. I mean, no, it and might be for teenagers. And I hate to say this, but for girls. But then they're together, so sometimes you feel safer and, you know, with numbers. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They were my teenage daughters. I th- This day and age, no. Exactly. This day and age, completely different story. You would mm-hmm. not let your daughters go out after dark. Not until they're In 30. the middle of winter. Yeah, and, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're also living in Chicago. They're not in like a, a small town or anything. They're in dangerous Chicago. <laughs> yeah. But they these girls had gone to this movie theater several times before by themselves, totally fine. So the mom was like, yeah, sure, whatever, go on. And they'd usually take the bus. Even It's 1.5 miles, so it's not like fun to walk, but they could have walked. Yes. Uh, that night in particular, they said that it was extremely cold because, you know, dead of winter, Chicago, mm-hmm. l- late at night. So I kind of hope they took the bus, but I can't say for certain what they did that particular night. The girls, the only thing they really brought with them to the movie theater was a coin purse with $2.50 in it. And that was to, that was for bus fare and also money to go to the two showings so they needed two tickets each mm-hmm. and then some snack money to go get popcorn so you said how much was in their wallet two dollars and fifty cents oh back then that was plenty right that's enough to to uh fund their whole evening but not enough to do anything else mm-hmm. really um so we know that they got to the theater that night and that they saw the first showing and we know that because Patricia's friend was sitting behind them. Her name was Dorothy Weinert. She was sitting behind them with her little sister and to watch the same movie. And uh, the girls were having a good time, Dorothy said. She saw them after the movie back in the concession stand to get some popcorn. Mm-hmm. And she said they just were laughing, having a good time. Nothing seemed off. But Dorothy did not stick around for the second showing. She and her sister had to go home. So at about 9.30, as they were leaving, that's when she saw Patricia and Barbara in line to get popcorn. And she was like, okay, well, they're going to go see the second showing. We got to go home. So we assume that the girls got to stay and see the rest of the, the show. We have some other eyewitness accounts that say that they were. They were there watching the double showing. And their mom expected them home by 11.45. Gosh, it still seems late for that age and the distance. And even if the bus was going to come pick them up, it still doesn't sit right with me. I, mean, I know that because obviously I, I have a feeling of what's going to happen at the end and also the world we live in now. But still, like, yes. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's instances like these with the Grimes sisters that kind of took away our trust, you know? Mm-hmm. 
of our kids and other people around our kids. I get it. I I read this and was like, that's the time. That has to be the sign of that time because there's no way these days. My mom would have never let me go to the movie theater, you know, just walking at 13 years old. Mm-mm. No way. In the middle of the night. And I used to get mad whenever, like, I'd want to go do something and my parents would be like, no, and it's not because I don't trust you that you would do the right thing. I just don't trust other people. And I used to get so frustrated. I'm like, I can handle myself. <laughs> like, obviously, <laughs> like, no. How is that my fault? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, you know, my sister and her kids, like, she's very careful with them and they don't like it either. But, you know, it's better than being, it's better to be safe than sorry, right? And they'll get over it. They may hate you now, but they'll get over it. I got over it. Now I understand. It's fine. Just they're you're, they're teenagers. They're gonna hate you anyway. Yeah, that's true. No matter what you do, they're no not matter. gonna be happy. <laughs> no matter what you do. Yeah, that's the sad part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Barbara and Patricia uh, were supposed to come home by eleven forty-five. But when they did not come home by midnight. Loretta sent out Teresa and Joey, some of her other kids, to go look for them. And do you know what ages they were? Yes. Uh, Joey was 14. Teresa was 17. Okay. So around, close close to the ages of her other two kids who just haven't come home yet. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she sent them out to the, the bus station just by their house. Okay. Okay. To wait to see if the girls would show up. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had missed the bus or something. Yeah, exactly. But then while they were out there doing that, Loretta stayed home and she started calling all of Barbara's and Patricia's friend's house. She just wanted to see. Hopefully they had gone to somebody's house and they were safe there. By 2.30, Loretta had called everybody she could think of. Nobody knew where the sisters were. And Teresa and Joey had come back empty handed. And they're like, well, that they never showed up. Oh, you know what? Like just thinking about it, I'm not even a parent. And I could just feel this big empty hole in me just a stabbing hole I don't know if that makes any sense but it's just like oh no yeah I feel it too just saying it out loud I feel like a an ache in my chest of fear like where are they if you were the Loretta oh yeah because you, you, at this point you don't even know what's happened yeah yeah anything anything could have happened and she has no idea and it's two thirty in the morning you know so she's up all night freaking out she calls the cops to report her daughter's missing mm-hmm and unfortunately, this is the first instance of cops and people involved in the investigation not taking Loretta seriously. I always hate that. I mean, you know, you should always take everything seriously, even if they think your kid might be a runaway, which I, I see that so much. So much. And I'm like, why? Why would you assume they just ran away? And even if they did, like, get your sh- get your butt in gear and bring them home and you know what i'll give them a good spanking or whatever when they get home if they come home or you know whatever but until then treat this seriously yeah whether they ran away or not they Mm. are not at home they could be in danger it doesn't matter why they're not here just find them Mm -hmm. right yes that's how i feel and that's how loretta felt but she also was trying to so she told the cops her girls were missing and the first thing the first week of her daughter's being gone, the cops treated it like runaway, like a case of runaways. Why? A whole week. <laughs> they just assumed they were like they look. I suppose they looked at the age of the girls, possibly the um, the social status, which was kind of on the lower end. You know, they were a poor family. Okay. 
And they just assumed that these girls had boyfriends and they'd run off with their boyfriends, didn't tell their mom and didn't want to come home. So they were like, oh, they'll show up, you know, whatever. They were 13 and 15, correct? Yes. These ran off with boyfriends. Yeah. (laughs) When their mom is adamant to tell the cops that they didn't have boyfriends, they didn't go out drinking, they didn't, you know, sneak out of the house in the middle of the night to hang out with friends and do drugs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. They were good kids. Well, okay. To be fair, not a lot of parents will admit to the fact that their kids might be doing something they shouldn't be doing. It's true. It's totally true. However, then again, you may know your kids, even if you're slightly blind to some things, but you, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to play devil's advocate on that one. Like, you really don't always know what your kids are doing. No, even when you're totally right about that. Yeah, you know Especially, like, if the cops are talking to her, they, they might be assuming that she doesn't pay much attention to the kids or... You know, teenage girls and their moms have very complicated relationships. They do. Isn't that crazy? Why is that? Like, you need your mom so much as a teenager. And then you go off and have these very complicated relationships. Yeah. Where, like, you don't get along. You don't want to tell them anything. Yeah. So I'm sure that's what the cops were thinking, was that these girls were just rebelling against their mom and stuff like that. But it took them a week of the girls being missing to start taking the case seriously. Mm-hmm. After that, they developed a task force. After that? After a week? After a week of these <sighs> girls being gone. Then they're like, oh shit, okay, maybe we got to do something here. <laughs> yeah, think? <laughs> right? Isn't the first 48 hours the most fucking important? They probably didn't know that back then. I don't know. I don't but, think they did. But this is where we get into the largest manhunt in Chicago history, or I should say teenage girl hunt. Yeah, there you go. They formed this task force. They brought in hundreds of cops to assign them to the case from all across Chicago in different jurisdictions. They got hundreds of volunteers to help perform ground searches. And they offered a $1,000 reward for any information leading to finding these girls. Do we know what's going on with the dad at this point? I don't have a lot of information about him throughout the case. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't. I think he lives in Chicago at this time. He does make an appearance, but he's he's a secondary player. Okay. The mom is mostly the one to do, you know, all the child care and stuff like that. Well, still, I think you'd be involved if your kids are missing. Like, I think he is. I think he's involved, but not as much as she is. Um, we'll see a little later when he comes to into play. Okay. Okay. Because they had hundreds of cops assigned to the case, they were able to question something like 300,000 people in relations to the case. During these questionings and trying to figure out what happened and piece it all together, they found a bunch of teenagers who had also been there that night at the movie theater who knew the girls from school. So all these teenagers, there's several of them, and they all kind of said the same thing. They said that they saw the girls getting into a car with a tall young man that looked a little bit like Elvis. Oh, God. Elvis kidnapped them. I'm just kidding. Ah! <laughs> That's what I was thinking at the beginning of the story. Because I mentioned Elvis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, I get, you know, all these teenagers had just gotten out from seeing a movie with Elvis in it. Maybe their vision was a little compromised. You know, they were like, 
we just saw Elvis. This guy has dark hair and he's tall. He looks like Elvis. I don't know how actually much he <laughs> looks like Elvis. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's what they told the cops and the cops wrote it down. And, you know, try to keep an eye out for some guy who looks like Elvis. And I bet a lot of guys like catching on to that girls like Elvis. So they maybe started dressing and doing their hair like Elvis. And I bet they did. I bet they started doing the, what's it called? A pompadour and all that. Yeah, I don't know. Was that what Elvis had? Is that his hairstyle? I don't know if they actually called his a pompadour. Pompadour Elvis. Yep, Elvis had a pompadour. Oh, did he? Okay, okay, cool. Like that's what they called it mm-hmm. too. Also, it says Elvis Presley's pompadour. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're totally right. I think it's that these teenage guys also looked up to Elvis or thought he was cool or wanted to get the girls who did like Elvis. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say. Um, this guy will actually come back into play later, and you know, I'll ha- you'll Google it, Lisa, and you'll see for yourself if you think he looks like Elvis or not. Okay, we'll do. Now, even though they were able to question 300,000 people, no real hard evidence came to light from those interrogations. Now, looking back, there's been some... There, People have said that maybe the manhunt was too big, and that's the problem. Too big in what way? They cast too wide of a net, Okay, I think. But other people have said they bungled the case because of the sheer magnitude. Because if you think about it, there's hundreds of cops from different jurisdictions all working on the same case. Mm-hmm. But they're not used to working with cops from other jurisdictions. Oh, You know what? Sometimes ego from different jurisdictions can get in the way. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what happened here. The cops that were from different jurisdictions didn't share information with cops from other jurisdictions regarding this case. Like, you all have a freaking common goal. Get over your ego and work together and don't be... They always want to be the ones to, like, figure it out themselves. That's why, like, you see it, like, between, like, the FBI and local police. I agree. They definitely... They should have talked to each other because I think one of the problems is that even if it was just by accident like just by default they're just used to working with people in their own jurisdiction mm-hmm. either way they probably missed some evidence because one jurisdiction probably had one piece of the puzzle and another jurisdiction had another piece and they didn't share information so you know we could have lost information because of that so that kind of sucks but also they were like you said the jurisdictions the ego got in the way they were arguing which jurisdiction should actually take precedent over the other ones. And it was like, none of y'all just get the, you know, get the case solved. Yeah. <laughs> and the volunteers were a problem, too, because even though they were well-intentioned, they're untrained. Yeah. And so you imagine if they're all, like, let's say, for instance, that a bunch of volunteers are walking through a forest like you see on, you know, Unsolved Mysteries or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily know what they're looking for. So if they step on it and keep going and it destroyed evidence that they didn't even realize was evidence in the first place, you know, there's some more bungling of the investigation. And you see that a lot um, in older, I mean, in a lot of cases, not just older cases, but yeah, yeah. definitely uh, contaminating a crime scene. It's just, it's nuts, especially when people are like, well intentioned like you find a dead body and you like 
think instinctively cover it up until the police get there and then you might have right. messed some stuff up. Yeah, for some some way, somehow, you might have stepped on something. You might have touched something you weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like you said, throw a blanket on top to protect the body. But it's like... So, yeah, exactly. I mean, as well-intentioned as they were, I think the volunteers probably messed up some evidence, too. And so between them and the cops fighting between jurisdictions, there really was... <laughs> there was no forward movement in this case. Mm-hmm. They there are several sightings of the girls, though, over the next several weeks oh. from the time they went missing. Really? Like, do you think they're legitimate? I personally do not. But we'll get into it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm getting excited. And the only reason I say that is because they offered a $1,000 reward. Oh. So, and when you listen to a few of these, it's like, it, I guess it could be apply to the girls but it also might be two completely different girls i don't know yeah but um i'm not going to do all of the sightings but there are a lot so if anybody wants to be like an armchair sleuth look up the grimes sisters and you'll see a list of all of the sightings that people reported of them there's Mm -hmm. a lot but uh, i will talk about the ones that tried to paint the girls in a bad light in like a negative fashion yeah yeah it's kind of back to that thing where loretta's like no they're good girls and everyone else is like yeah but what if they weren't all the time (laughs) (laughs) oops that sounds like me yeah not that i was bad like what i was saying earlier like well we don't always know what our kids are up to we don't yeah yeah it's hard to say does she is she just saying that to save face or Or is she naive is she naive or are the girls really good and people just didn't want to care about them i don't know Mm -hmm. i really don't know it's hard to tell it's hard to tell but here's some of the sightings of them uh one security guard on december 29th so that's just the next day after they went missing Mm -hmm. the security guard said that two girls matching the grime sisters descriptions talked to him early morning maybe like 4 a.m asking for directions but that they were possibly drunk and definitely very rude to him okay others said that they saw the girls in and out of bars trying to get older guys to buy him drinks possible i guess they're not at home so maybe another person said that they saw the girls at the naval base the you know the nearby naval base asking for their boyfriends terry and larry who were in the navy supposedly really these two sisters have boyfriends each called Terry and Larry. Right. Come on now. <laughs> I wonder if they're brothers. I maybe. They're definitely not thirteen and fifteen. <laughs> when I was fifteen I was dating an older man, so it's that's why <laughs> that's why it's funny to me that they're Were saying you? that these girls remember yeah, when I was fifteen I went on a couple of dates with a twenty one year old and You did I mean, I vaguely remember this, but I don't we're gonna have to talk about this yeah later. there was a couple a couple guys that were 2021 20, that i was like totally in love with and went on some dates with but nothing serious happened i was too much of a nerd still i'm like i just barely remember this okay we're gonna have to talk later we're gonna talk later about this we'll talk later this will be on a, a dolls after dark okay we have our topic for our next patreon exclusive dolls after dark if you want to hear about pages forays into uh dating older men please Mm -hmm. subscribe to Mm -hmm. our five dollar tier 
(laughs) (laughs) I would have been, I would have definitely been the girl that my mom was like, no, she's a good kid. And I had not been necessarily a good kid, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a different story. I'm not the Grimes sisters. (laughs) No, no. You're not at the naval base picking up Terry and Larry. Heck no. Uh, uh. (laughs) Larry's my dad's name. That's just weird. (laughs) Oh yeah. You can't, you definitely can't do that. No, it's super weird. But anyway, <laughs> so the Loretta came back to the cops and was basically like, no, that's not my daughter's. That's not how they were. They wouldn't even know where that bar is where mm-hmm. someone said that they saw them. According to Loretta, that's what she said. So she doesn't believe any of these sightings necessarily. There are some other ones that are a lot more normal, like they saw the girls jumping in and out of... um doorways at each other like playing games and stuff Mm -hmm. so those might be a little bit more legitimate it's just a problem of time frame that we're going to see come into play here there's one more rash of sightings of the girls and it was all the way down in nashville tennessee is that where elvis is it yeah at the time yeah he was there and they thought that the girls, they when they started running out of options, they're like, well, the girls love Elvis so much, maybe they ran off to Nashville to meet him in person. I mean, that's totally believable. I remember when my younger sister was trying to Google Maps uh, Justin Bieber's house. Really? Yeah, and I'm like, honey, <laughs> that's adorable. I'm like, you're eight. There's no way you're getting over to Justin Bieber's house. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, exactly. You might pull up his address right now. You still can't go. <laughs> no. I'm like, I don't know how we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, totally. When I was a little kid, if NSYNC was coming into town or something, if I had any wherewithal, I might have tried to, like, run off to go meet them in person. (laughs) You wouldn't have crossed state lines. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A 13 and a 15-year-old who left home with $2.50 in their pocket probably aren't planning to run off to Nashville that night. Not that very night, no. That's what I'm thinking, and that's what their mom said, too. So that maybe because of her, you know, reasonable explanation for why she didn't think they ran away because mm-hmm. they didn't they only had the clothes on their backs and it was really cold and things like that. She didn't think they would have practically ran away. But who's to know? So, the reports from Nashville said that the girls showed up bedraggled, tired looking, ragged, no money in their pockets, so somebody sent them to an employment agency looking for work. And the clerk at the employment agency said that the girls had given their names as Grimes, their last names as Grimes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the police are like, oh, interesting. Maybe they really did go to Nashville. And Elvis heard about these two girls who had supposedly ran away to Nashville to meet him. Mm -hmm. And in order to help out the case, he released a a statement on the radio. I'm going to try to do Elvis voice. This one is a little tougher. Oh my gosh. Um, if you can do Elvis voice, I am just going to be so happy. <laughs> okay, I'll try. And if, if you can't understand it, I'll repeat it in page voice. Okay. <laughs> you might want to do that anyway, just for our listeners, in case they're not, you know, uh, trained to hear the Elvis impersonation you're about to do. <laughs> right. They might need an interpreter. <laughs> so. They just might. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do uh, one normal, one Elvis. Here's the Elvis version. If y'all are good Presley fans, you'll go on home and ease your mother's worries. <laughs> You're so good. That's the uh, Elvis voice. That was amazing. I don't think you even need to do page voice because I understood it perfectly. 
I think it was oh, very cool. clear. Okay. No, I think I think that's great, and I am so tickled, like how good you are at doing Elvis's voice. <laughs> I'm very surprised that you think I I sound like Elvis. Thank you. That I think you do. Good. I think our listeners will agree. Like I had like a flash of Elvis pelvis right in my face. <laughs> I, I I I elicited visions of Elvis the pelvis. Look, <laughs> that's Elvis all I can is ask not for. dead. He just lives in Page now. <laughs> Well, you're the one with Lisa Marie as your name. (laughs) I think that's why we get along so well. Oh, my good Presley fan. (laughs) But yeah, isn't that kind of sweet? He was like, if y'all are good Presley fans, you'll go on home. (laughs) Yes. And I think if they had truly run away, I think then they probably would have gone home. I think so, too. I think they would have been like, ah, shit, Elvis caught us. Okay, let's go home. Yeah, Elvis. Yeah, now we're embarrassed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So even Elvis, all the way up to the top, tippy top of the nation, which I would, you know, he's famous. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, he, he released that on the radio, hoping that if they were in Nashville, they'd go home. Unfortunately, they didn't go home like, you know, they didn't show up on their mom's doorstep the next day being like, sorry, Elvis told us no. I'm sure Loretta would have been happy to see them either way. But unfortunately, they didn't show up. And none of the other sightings are substantiated either. They're just kind of hearsay whether people actually saw the girls or not. Loretta, for her part in the investigation, she was a nervous wreck, as we can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, her two girls are gone. Um, I didn't mention this before, but they had an older daughter who had died two years before this of a of, of an illness. She didn't, you know, get murdered or anything. But mm-hmm. I think that she's probably already a little bit raw emotion. Her first daughter had died two years previous, and now her two teenage daughters are missing. Yeah. Oh, Loretta. Yeah. So she, she's having a rough time. She's not sleeping. She's constantly nervous, looking out the window, trying to find the girls, Mm -hmm. talking to the cops, you know, always asking if they have more evidence. And because of all this, she really can't work anymore. So she had, she stopped going to work. Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like, number one, how are you going to take care of your family and stuff if you can't work? Because obviously, if it were me, I wouldn't be working either. I would make finding my kids a full-time job, like three full-time jobs. Yeah, at that point. There are priorities. Exactly. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's the other thing. If you don't work and Loretta was a single mom, they started having financial trouble because she wasn't going to work. And I bet these days there's probably nonprofits or charities or something like that will help you get by if you have this kind of thing happen to you. But I don't, I'm pretty sure back then there probably wasn't anything except for your community trying to help you out maybe. Yeah. Yeah. At least I hope there's people out there today trying to help you know, in these circumstances. But like you said, with their community, they came together. The the friends and family, as well as peop- uh, the girls' teachers, fellow students, they all came together, did a little fundraising, and they were able to pay off the Grimes family mortgage. Oh, at least that's one less thing to worry about. That's amazing. You shouldn't have that to worry about my heart. keeping your home while you're dealing with issues like that that's just too much yeah there's no way you can imagine loretta trying to go to work in the morning at a pharmaceutical company and she's thinking about her daughters the whole time you know rough it's rough 
yeah so i i that was a little feel-good piece right in the middle here of the of the very depressing story now here is where we get some more evidence so 25 days after the girls went to go see love me tender and never came home again leonard prescott was a construction worker driving down german church road on january 22nd he was on his way to the grocery store and he happened to glance over the side of the road where there was a guardrail and he saw what he thought were two mannequins lying on the ground it's never mannequins but he that's what he thought and he kept driving but after he got home from the grocery store he was like talking to his wife he's like you know that feels weird let's go check it out so they went back to where he thought he saw the mannequins on german church road which apparently is a rural country road like out in the boonies and when they got there they realized that it was two teenage girls naked and dumped by the side of the road not mannequins have you ever heard of a situation or seen personally like a mannequin on the side of the road no I haven't that's what I wondered like why do every why does everyone think it's always mannequins I have never seen a discarded mannequin anywhere ever Me neither. <laughs> maybe outside the mall because they break very easily they are not made of good stuff Mm-mm. those white ones the white plastic ones yeah oh, even the ones that look realistic like they're made of crap material yeah I'm sure that if you like go to the dumpster behind the mall you might see some yeah but not like on the side of the road I don't know who knows? Who knows? But <laughs> it wasn't mannequins. It was actually Barbara and Patricia. They had mm. finally been found. Oh, I mean, yes, but no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least there's some definite, at least Loretta knows where her kids are. Unfortunately, they are dead, though. That's It's a form of closure in a way, like you're not looking for them anymore, but you might be looking for their killer. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what happened to them, so that part's still up in the air, but... At least you know they're not running around in Nashville looking for Elvis. Yeah, so they brought... This is where their dad comes in. They brought in the dad to help ID the bodies because Loretta didn't want to go, as you can imagine. Yes. (laughs) So their dad comes and he does make a positive ID. He says, these are my daughters, Barbara and Patricia. And then he has... A breakdown you know he has a little emotional breakdown starts crying I think he even throws up I would yeah yeah <laughs> and I wanted to include that in there because I don't know much about the dad but it does seem like he does care about his daughters now this is what you would have seen and you can look this up if you look up Grimes sisters you might be able to find the photo of where their bodies were on the side of the road okay, I'm gonna look it up now not their bodies, just Grimes sisters. Yeah, no, not on purpose, but yeah, see where they were dumped. Um, I'm going to, while Lisa's doing that, I'm going to describe the scene of what the where the two girls were. Um, Barbara and Patricia were both undressed, frozen, because they'd been covered in snow for several weeks, as far as the cops know at this point. And... Barbara was laying on her side with her knees kind of pulled up like, you know, when you're sleeping on your side, kind of the fetal position. Patricia was laying on her back, but Patricia, oddly enough, was lying on top of Barbara's head. Huh? 
It's strange. It's it, they were lying perpendicular. Okay. To each other, and Patricia was on her back, but her body was draped on top of Barbara's head. I'm looking at pictures of them, and the younger one's Patricia, correct? The younger one's Patricia, but Barbara's mm-hmm. the smaller of the two. All I just all I see is like a face picture, and Barbara looks super old. She does not look what fifteen. Barbara, yeah. No, she looks like a full-grown woman, whereas Patricia looks like a kid. Yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's the picture with um, it kind of mm, possibly Barbara has a dress on. It's hard to tell. There's several pictures of them, but they're both like wearing, a, I think, dresses. But, but either way, they um, one looks much old. Honestly, it looks like Barbara could be patricia's mom yeah she she does look a little bit older than patricia it Mm -hmm. might be the fact that it's black and white i've been trying to figure that out too i was like is that one of the older sisters that they put on nope nope that's barbara okay i don't know but yeah so if you guys want to look up grime sisters you can see them the two of them alive and then you can see the picture of where their bodies were i do see a picture um it looks like it's just beside like a guardrail or something and it's blurred out where a body is I believe there's like a whole blurred section so um, yes luckily nothing I've seen is graphic but still yeah yeah there are uh if you keep looking through the google images you'll find one that's not blurred out there's a couple you know Mm. some people have blurred them out for like to be more uh respectful but Mm -hmm. it even with the bodies not blurred out it's kind of tough to see how their bodies are positioned because of the angle of the photograph but um so this is something that on their bodies they found a thin layer of ice barbara had shallow wounds in her chest that could have been caused by an ice pick oh no but they didn't cause death. They, were, uh, they weren't substantial enough to cause death. But some reason, somebody was poking with her an ice pick. Also had bruises on their body, both of them. And cut up faces, like abrasions on their faces. So now they bring in the volunteers to search the woods and the road and find any evidence they can. They don't find anything. This could be where... The volunteers fucked up. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think volunteers at this point should be actively helping here because they don't know what to look for. Right, they don't know what to look for. It's freezing out there. They're probably not paying attention, even though they are trying to help. need professionals at this point. They do have cops out there helping too, but they... It's it's a mess. I think they were trying too hard after they didn't take it seriously enough within the first week. Now we get to the autopsy. This is very frustrating for me, this autopsy, because kind of in the vein of how this investigation has been going, they threw too many people at the autopsy. There's three independent pathologists who perform the autopsies together, and they do not agree with each other on most points. So it's very frustrating, as you'll find out. But this is what they do did agree on and it's not a lot of information but this is what they could at least come to terms with they were murdered they were murdered exactly that's basically it but they don't even know how they were murdered at this point (laughs) 
after doing the autopsy, they they saw that there was the ice pick damage to Barbara's chest, but they, like I said, it was shallow wounds, so it didn't kill her. They also believed that the ice pick was post-mortem, as well as any abrasions on their faces and body. They think all of that was post-mortem and likely caused, not the ice pick part, but everything else they thought was caused by animals in the area, like rats and things like that. They said that Barbara, the eldest girl, had sexual intercourse shortly before her death, but they could not state one way or another if it was consensual or not. I mean, okay, but still, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Very frustrating that they couldn't even say that much. I would think if it ended in, you know, death, it probably, I mean, then again, you never know. You never know. I know, right? It's like, I would assume that if you're looking at their bodies and there's all these bruises and things that you could say at least probably not consensual, but you don't know. You really don't know. And there's all these people who have claimed to see them like with boyfriends and with older men and stuff. So it kind of feeds into that. Don't know. And it also said Patricia may also have participated, had sexual intercourse, either consensual or not. Mm -hmm. But they weren't sure on that one? That one they did not, yeah, they didn't make it as positive. Like, they knew for sure that Barbara had, and they were like, maybe Patricia as well. They One thing that they did say that makes it kind of interesting, and I'm not sure if I agree with this based on the rest of the evidence, they concluded that the girls had died within hours of disappearing. Oh, so they had been dead for a while? Yeah, apparently so. They'd been dead the whole time and just hadn't been found. And the reason they thought that the girls had died within hours was because when they checked the stomach contents, they found whatever food that Loretta had made them for their last dinner before they left home. That always freaks me out when they look at the stomach contents. I don't know why. It is why. a bit unsettling, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Like, with JonBenet, how she had pineapple in her stomach, and I'm like, Ugh. Right. I know. It's like, that's my business, <laughs> what I eat. But I mean, that. I understand it helps. It just always makes me like yeah. feel a little funny, especially because I guess you're... I guess you stop digesting so things can remain in your stomach. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, I guess, my my thoughts. I guess so, because that's what they were saying for these girls is that, well, they were these girls were also frozen for most of the time that okay. they were out in mm-hmm. the elements because of all the snowstorms going on that, that winter. Mm-hmm. So that might have helped preserve the food in their stomach. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. I'm assuming. Uh, and that's another reason why they don't know the exact time of death is because the bodies had been frozen. So decomposition was hard to measure. Mm-hmm. But according to the stomach contents, they think that they, it also showed that maybe they had some snacks at the movie theater, which we can substantiate because their friend saw them in the concession stand. Mm-hmm. So that's why they think it happened within hours of their disappearance. And that means that all of the sightings except for possibly the ones of the girls getting into a car with someone who looked like Elvis are unsubstantiated because it's like they might have already been dead. So whoever you saw, different girls, you know. They did rule the cause of death to be murder, but they couldn't agree on an actual cause of death, like what what did the murderer do to kill them? 
And after other causes were ruled out, they finally were just settling on shock and exposure as being what caused their deaths, probably because of the cold. So they're thinking that like possibly whoever had dumped their bodies there, driven them up, taken them out of the trunk, thrown them into the dirt next to the road while they were possibly, they had either just died or were still alive and unconscious and likely died next to the road. And they're saying that because of the layer of ice on them, because if their bodies were still warm, it would have made ice on them. So from the toxicology report, they noted that the girls didn't have any alcohol in their systems whatsoever. So they were good girls. So they were good girls. They didn't drink, at least not before they died. Not, not right before they died. And no drugs either. And that's about it. That's kind of all they found out from the autopsy. Sometimes you hear about cases where the coroner or the, um, whoever, is coroner right, the right word? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. or the, who are doing the autopsy. You hear about them coming up with whatever they come up with. And then later they bring in another like pathologist or yeah they bring in somebody else and they redo the autopsy and they find something completely different or like an obvious you know thing that was missed either missed or kept from the report the first time so i could see how them having a whole bunch of you know people in there trying to figure it out might seem like the right thing to do in maybe some cases but in this one i'm like "Eh." right I know, right? I think that's it was the problem with bringing in too many cops from different jurisdictions, mm-hmm. bringing in too many volunteers. They're just throwing so many resources at this thing, thinking like the more resources we use, the better off. But I think, in fact, it hurt the case. I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, too. And the there was somebody from the coroner's office. He was an official investigator at the coroner's office. He did not agree with the findings of the autopsy whatsoever. Mm -hmm. His name was Harry Gloss. And he says that because of that thin layer of ice that was found on the girls' bodies, he's certain that they didn't die within hours of going missing. He thinks they would have died closer to around January 7th. And the reason he thinks January 7th is because Maybe like January 8th or 9th is when the huge snowstorm hit. So he thinks their bodies had to have been slightly warm right before the big snowstorm or else they would have decomposed more before the snowstorm hit. I can see that, but then also looking at the stomach contents thing. Right. Well, he has a he has an opinion about that too. Oh, please lay it on me. So Harry Gloss claims... That Barbara had more in her stomach than was reported in the autopsy. Uh, According to Harry, Barbara also had curdled milk in her stomach. Did she have milk at the movies or did they serve milk at the movies? (laughs) I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever seen milk for sale in a concession stand, but maybe they did back then. I don't know. (laughs) It was a way more wholesome era. Right. They were like, you need your protein with your popcorn. <laughs> yep, that calcium, got to get it somehow. Yeah. So I don't think that she had, she didn't have milk at the movie theater, probably just because we know that milk is a weird concession stand snack. Yeah. <laughs> but also, according to her family, they didn't 
have milk the night that they disappeared. That wasn't part of their dinner. So Harry thinks it's unlikely that they died that same night, which is what the autopsy said, right? Right. Yeah, the autopsy said they died within hours. Mm -hmm. But if she's been drinking milk, where the heck did she get milk in the middle of the night? So according to his theory, they had been, they didn't, you know, they didn't die the same night, basically. He also said that the injuries that were found on the girls' bodies, the, the same injuries that the autopsy said were caused by rodents post-mortem, he's theorizing that they were held captive, subject to rape and torture, and that the bruises and lacerations found on the bodies were not post-mortem, but were, you know, pre-mortem. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what, that's what he's thinking is that, you know, based on the whole picture, that's what that looks like. He also said that Patricia, the youngest sister, had traces of semen in her vaginal fluids. So she had had sex as well. And mm-hmm. he thinks it was not consensual for both of them. Yeah, I, I mean, so many different things could happen, but it just, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. But that just doesn't seem right. I agree. I think that based on the fact that these girls were stripped naked, they had bruises all over their bodies. They're left on the side of a very, you know, a rural country road that people don't drive on very often. I don't assume that they had had consensual sex before that I but I don't know I don't know so maybe I don't know if his his evidence is all circumstantial I mean that part at least where he looked at the bodies and said that those were not those whatever bruises and things were not performed post-mortem yeah I just feel like he I feel like everybody here is kind of grasping at straws no one really knows what happened right like yes it's so frustrating this case because it's like nobody except a little bit Harry Harry's the only one who kind of makes conjectures everyone else is like well we don't know what happened maybe they had consensual sex before they got killed I don't know it pisses me off but let's say that Harry he believed that the girls were going out and drinking and had boyfriends and things that basically everything that their mom said was not true. He believed was true. And that's where him and I, you know, diverge in our opinions a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't there. I don't know if these girls were doing all that stuff before they got before they went missing. And when he reported on his opinions and you know, his findings, he got fired for them. What? He got fired for making an educated guess? I mean, what? I kind of wonder if he did get fired for, uh, what's it called? Like when he, he, it's like he made the coroner's office that he worked for look like fools because he went against their autopsy report. Well, I think all of them should have had their own independent, uh, you know, autopsies, and then then they could come together and see what overlapped that might be true, and then where things differed, yes. but it sounds like they're just, you know, putting, trying, like a group project or something. They all have to agree <laughs> on stuff, and that's never fun. No, fucking group projects. Those were the bane of my existence in high school. I know. <laughs> You're always paired up with people who don't want to do the work. Yeah, I usually was just like, okay, go do whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. Me too. I'd be like, don't even worry about this. 
I'm going to do all the work and I'll do the presentation afterwards if there was one. Right. And then I'll tell the teacher that you didn't do any work because I am a tattletale. Damn, Paige. You a snitch. (laughs) I never did in high school, but no, I mean like. Well, that's because I was protecting you the whole time. You were. You were my protector. People were coming after you and I was swatting them down like flies. (laughs) Lisa the badass. (laughs) Mm, That's right. It's true, though. You were my protector. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was the nerd. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think we were both nerds. We were probably just, no one wanted to even mess with us. Yeah, we were We were below the line. They were all like, you know, football players and cheerleaders and stuff. And we were over there. You were in band. I wasn't in anything. <laughs> you were like a band groupie. You hung out with the rest of the band people. You were an honorary band person. I was. I was a band groupie. I think they even called me that. That's funny. I feel like they did. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I was friends with all the band kids. <laughs> but I'm sorry, we digress. We do. Um, <clears throat> yes, so Harry Gloss got fired. The official reasoning wasn't because of, like I said, my my opinion was that it looked like he was, you know, going over the heads of his bosses and they didn't like that and fired him. The official reasoning was because he released the details of the girls being sexually assaulted, whereas apparently the police had been trying to keep those details out of the press and out of the public eye. Because, you know, you know how, especially when you watch cold case files or unsolved mysteries or something, there's always an aspect to the case that the police keep back yes. until later. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess that's what they were saying here is that they were trying to keep the sexual assault thing away from the public eye so that if anyone happened to mention it in a, anyone who might be a suspect, they would know that that person probably did it. I mean, that's that's a smart tactic, but this guy just went and, and snitched and blew all the evidence and everything. He sti- he snitched. It's true. <laughs> and he got stitched for it. He did. He got he got his ass fired. <laughs> <laughs> but he yeah, he he maintained his opinion even after he got fired. And he kind of thought that that they fired him because they were trying to keep the girl's reputation intact. Whereas on the other side, the cops are like, no, you compromised our investigation. So either way, he's he's gone. He's fired. <laughs> he's off the case. But his favorite suspect is the one we'll start with right now. We're about to go through all the suspects for this case. All right. Lay them on me. Here we go. So the first one, his name was Edward Lee Bedwell, a.k.a. Benny. Benny Bedwell. Benny Bedwell. Uh, Benny. Yeah, I guess that's where the Benny comes from, because what a, Edward Lee turns into Benny somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, it doesn't work very well, but whatever. Benny. <laughs> He he was the most publicized suspect because when they caught him, they thought for sure this is the guy. He was a drifter. He was about 21 from Tennessee. Oh, did he look like Elvis? Oh, he sure did. did he? <laughs> yes. That's yes. funny. Apparently he did. He looked like Elvis. That might have been one of the reasons they thought he was the guy because he looked like Elvis and all those all those other teenagers had said they'd seen the girls get in a car with a guy who looks like Elvis. And here's a guy looks like Elvis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And if you guys want to check it out for yourselves, type in Edward Lee Bedwell and see if you think he looks like 
Elvis. They're all black and white pictures. Uh, he's got sideburns. He's got a pompadour. I don't know. I'm not going to say he looks like Elvis myself. But yeah, what do you think, Lisa? Oh, uh, there's only pictures of him making weird faces. So I, I can't really tell. No, maybe there's one picture here. He, yeah, let me search Benny Bidwell. It might get me more results. It might. Okay. Yeah, Benny. He looks like Elvis's illegitimate, like, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, he's what, tall, young. He kind of has hair. the hair. Yeah, I could see it. Kind of the a little bit on the face. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So maybe he is the guy. But we don't know for sure because, well, we'll get into that. But okay. um, what happened is this guy, he was working as a dishwasher in a restaurant. Okay. And the owner of the restaurant reported Mr. Benny because he and his friend had been hanging out with young girls who resembled the Grimes sisters on the early morning hours of December 30th. So was that the night they went missing? No, it's not. Oh. It's a couple days later. Oh, okay. Okay. According to Benny, in his, so he was brought in for questioning. They did an intense three days of interrogation with Benny. And after those three days, he signed a written 14-page confession. Oh, wow. He had a lot to say. He had a lot to say. And he confessed to the crime uh, of killing the, the sisters there. Mm -hmm. But in his story, what he said was he and his friend, William, had taken the girls out drinking on the town and eating hot dogs. That sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, I like hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Tofu hot dogs, but they're still delicious. <laughs> <laughs> So he took them out. They were drinking. And apparently they kind of spent the week with these girls in hotels around Chicago, close to where this guy works in the restaurant on Skid Row. Mm -hmm. I've never been. I don't think I've been to Chicago. So I don't know what Skid Row is except yeah. what the Google says. Yeah, I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> so he worked on Skid Row and they, there was a hotel nearby and they all stayed there drinking every night, going out, partying, whatever. And they'd been in the company of these girls until January 7th. And then on Jan like closer to January 7th, they make sexual advances towards these young girls. So they, they didn't try going after these girls sexually for days? Yeah, like a whole week. <laughs> Very strange. Very strange. But they didn't. They waited a week. And then when they did, offer, you know, do some sexual advances, the girl said no. And that made them mad. As part of the confession, he said that his friend William, and let me tell you William's last name because it's funny. His name is William Willingham. William Willingham? Yeah. Will Willie Willingham. Yeah. Willie Willingham. Kind of has a <laughs> ring to it. Yeah. It's a... It's a if he had had a different life path, he might have been a movie star with that kind of name. Damn, you're right. <laughs> Willie Willingham but on that... the big screen. The silver screen. Mm -hmm. Come see Willie Willingham perform <laughs> amazing feats of acting with his feet. <laughs> Willie Willingham. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> watch him right. fall in love. I'll, I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Watch him hang out with his pal who looks like Elvis, but really isn't. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. No. Edward Lee Bedwell. Yeah. yeah. He's not a movie star. No. No. He just sounds like a serial killer with the three names. He kind of does, doesn't he, Edward Lee? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Willing Willingham, 
he could be a porn star. Well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> With a name like that. It just sounds like a porn star to me. <laughs> Sorry, Willies. Yeah. Sorry, Willie. But Benny said that William had beaten the girls that he got mad when they didn't want to have sex with them Mm -hmm. so he beat the girls he undressed them and left their bodies along the side of the road where they were found Mm -hmm. but according to the confession the girls did not have any sort of sex with william or with benny now we know that they did have sex that before they died yeah or sex was had on them yeah, that's a good point. According to the autopsy, we don't know for sure if it was assault or not, mm-hmm. but we do know that they did. Consensual or not, They there was some intercourse going on. Yeah. So it's a little strange that he that this uh, confession would kind of contradict that part of the autopsy. Also, he said that they were together for a week and he didn't, you know, uh, William didn't kill the girls until closer to the 7th but the autopsy said they died within hours of going missing yeah so there's a little contradiction here yeah totally yeah so if you're going with the official findings of the autopsy this guy didn't do it and harry gloss though harry had said remember he said the girls died closer to the 7th yeah so that's he definitely thinks this guy did it because of that that fits his opinion but The problem is, besides the fact that the autopsy results and the confession don't match, the other problem is that Benny was illiterate and had a low IQ. So was he able to even write out this confession or did someone else write it for him? Uh, Definitely someone else wrote it for him. I don't... (laughs) The the problem is he, he signed that confession and then when he was able to leave, you know, whatever the interrogation, he said he recanted the confession... Because he had been beaten and bribed into signing it. Yikes. And like you said, he probably didn't write it because he's illiterate. He definitely couldn't even read it. And so, what if what if they read it, quote unquote, read it to him and it's like, yeah, I met them, but then I dropped them off a few days later and that was it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. I'm going to just sign this. Like, I don't know. And then yeah. and then they're like, oh, it says here you, you know, raped and killed them. He'd be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, that's not what happened. (laughs) Oh, well, you already signed it. (laughs) No take backsies. Yeah, pretty much. Do you want to keep all your teeth? Or should we punch those out too? I don't know. (laughs) Because he said he got beaten up. (laughs) I need you in my corner, Paige. Oh, girl, you're the one who protected me in high school, remember? That's that's true. I don't even need you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't need me. Let that's me get my baseball bat covered in uh, barbed wire. <laughs> all right. All right. But uh, yeah, so back to Benny. Benny probably didn't do it. His confession was apparently coerced and it didn't match up with the autopsy findings. So he was released and they didn't actually have any evidence against him except for that confession that he signed. Now, Max Fleeg is the name of the next suspect. Max Fleeg. Max Fleeg. He kind of sounds like a movie star too. Yeah, I'm like, come see Max Fleeg take over the world. (laughs) In a world where Max Fleeg takes it over. (laughs) There's only one man that can save you and that's Max Fleeg from himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Max. 
poor, poor Max. <laughs> no, not poor Max. We're going to find out. We don't like Max. Okay. <laughs> Max Fleeg was a 17-year-old punk kid in Chicago. He was considered the most likely suspect originally, like, you know, when the girls were still missing. Now, because he was 17, though, it was illegal to put him, to make him take a lie detector test. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but okay. I didn't know that either. It's not that way anymore in Illinois. It was just at that time period. But I thought, I don't know if this goes back that far or if this is a more recent thing, but you can say no to a lie detector test. Like, you, even if you are arrested, you don't have to take one, I'm pretty sure. Like, now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right for back then, too. I believe people had to submit them. Like, they had to at least say yes to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. No, that's true. And with this, even if you agree, if you're under 18, that lie detector test cannot be submitted as evidence because they weren't supposed to give it to you in the first place. I don't think they're allowed to be submitted as evidence at all. Oh, really? I think they used to be, right? Maybe. I know now you can't. They're not. (sighs) They don't count as evidence. I don't, I just don't think they, um, they can be, I mean, they can help maybe sway the prosecution to say, okay, well, it seems like they're lying about this. Maybe I can dig deeper into that topic, but I don't think they can be used in court. Yeah, I think you're right about that since, I don't know what year, but I agree with you. They've figured out that lie detector tests are not a good way to question somebody like <laughs> they're just not fully credible yeah credible thank you that's the word I was looking for they're not credible and so I mean I feel like they used to be used more often mm-hmm. maybe in like the 50s 60s when it was 70s you know when it was first coming out but yeah you're right nowadays it's like okay well lie detector test you passed you failed whatever it, you could have been a sociopath and passed because you're just so good at lying mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But they they submitted this guy, Max Fleeg, when he was 17 years old to a lie detector test. And they told they they asked him if he wanted to do it. They're like, well, you know, just for fun, because, you know, they they knew they couldn't use it in court anyway. And apparently during the lie detector test, Max confessed to killing the Grimes sisters. But they can't use it. They can't use his confession or the lie detector test because they weren't supposed to give it to him in the first place. Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> so I don't know why they did. I mean, that just seems stupid to me. Like, <laughs> you just wasted all that time. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, the only thing I think they can use it for is kind of determine to determine where they should be doing their questioning moving forward. It could be a good indicator, maybe, but it's just not, it's just not reliable enough to use in court. Yeah. I mean, well, I agree now, but We'll have to look into it because I think it was usable in court at some point. I don't know. But anyway, doesn't matter. The point is they had to let him go because they didn't have any physical evidence linking him to the crime. And I don't think he did it. I think they just picked him up because, like we said before, they had cops from so many different jurisdictions in Chicago. I think that some guys just were like, well, Max, a punk kid. Let's bring him in. He probably did it. <laughs> you know, who who knows? But later on, Max was charged with the murder of a young woman unrelated to the Grimes sister case. Oh, so was he like for sure guilty of this other one? As far as I know. I mean, as far as the courts were concerned, he was. Okay, so they probably had a little bit more evidence. Yeah. So for this one, no evidence. But later on, he did get charged with murder. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it, like I said, I don't really think he had anything to do with the Grimes sisters case. Okay. But this last one that we're going to talk about, he is the current suspect that people believe did it. Mm-hmm. His name is, uh, he has another uh, three per, three name, name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Charles Leroy Melquist. That's the guy. That sounds like the guy. <laughs> He's got three names. It's got to be him. <laughs> well, I mean, it just sounds like, I don't know. It just sounds perfectly evil and sinister. I'm sorry if that's your name right now, but I'm like, that's the guy. <laughs> if, if someone's named Charles Leroy Melquist right now, they probably did it too. No, I'm just no damn. <laughs> it's just an unusual name. I don't think I've ever met a Melquist. And I like the name Melquist because I've been reading um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It kind of sounds like a weird sci-fi alien name to me. It kind of does, a little bit. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. But I don't like him. <laughs> so Charles... He was a suspect originally in the Grimes murders, but they didn't have any evidence against him, which they didn't have any evidence at all. Um, So they had to let him go. But a year later, almost a year, exactly a year later from when the Grimes sisters were found, a young girl named Bonnie Lee Scott was found along a road about 10 minutes away from where the Grimes sisters had been left. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this one... Bonnie Lee Scott was 15, so it was similar to the Grimes sisters. Mm-hmm. She was undressed, which was, you know, similar to the Grimes sisters. Mm-hmm. And they knew who did this. They actually, <laughs> they had evidence on this one. And the evidence pointed to Charles Melquist. Oh, Chuck Melquist. <laughs> good old Chuck or good, bad, bad old Chuck. Bad old Chuck. <laughs> bad old Chuck. <laughs> Yeah, he. they knew that he had already known Bonnie before the murder, and he was convicted of killing her. He was actually sentenced to 99 years in prison for killing Bonnie Lee Scott. Did he serve full 99 years? No. No, he didn't. He got let out on parole after 11 years. Oh, my God. I was hoping you were going to say he died in prison. That's why he didn't serve out his full 99. But uh, after 11 years, you just get off for murder? Right. He literally <sighs> murdered a 15-year-old girl, left her naked body alongside the road. And they're like, okay, well, you know, 11 years, you've done your time. Bye. Did know. you learn a lesson? Don't kill girls. Yeah. Yeah. Charles, Chuck. Good old Chuck is like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, never. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> Scouts on her. Scout's honor, and he has his fingers t- crossed behind his back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, we, I don't know for sure. I don't think he did anything. He didn't get arrested for anything else the re- rest of his life. After he got let out on parole, he got married. He had a couple kids. And for all we know, he had a normal life up until his death in 2010. No more murders? As far as I know. no, None that were attributed to him anyway. So maybe he reformed. I don't know. But... The similarities in the case of Bonnie Lee Scott and the Grimes sisters really point to Melquist as being the one who killed the Grimes sisters as well. But that's circumstantial. So they were able to talk to him about the Grimes sisters. They At first, when they got him for Bonnie Lee Scott, they concentrated on that to make sure they could, you know, get him for something at least. They had evidence for that one, unlike for the Grimes sisters. But even after that... They were unable to talk to him about the Grimes sisters' murders because he lawyered up. He lawyered up hard. The lawyer said, you cannot talk to my client about any, you know, about the that case. 
the Grimes sisters case. So for his whole life, somehow his lawyer blocked all questioning of the Grimes sisters. I don't think that's right. It's not right. It is not right. Can't they at least question him? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? I don't really actually... I don't, haven't seen a lot where, like, a lawyer becomes present and does, like, all the talking because, cause, like, once you get the lawyer, you could, they can pretty much say, no, he's not going to answer that. No, he's not going to answer that. No, he's not going to answer that. Yeah. And it's like, what's, what's even the point of questioning him at that point? Because you know the freaking lawyer's just going to cock block it. Totally, yeah. They they have to, like, try to catch the suspect without their lawyer or before they get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Yeah. From what I've seen of cases, it seems to be better without a lawyer if the, you know, like if they're trying to catch someone who actually did it. Mm -hmm. Like in this case, we think, I mean, he already killed one girl that was 15. Why not the Grimes sisters? Why not? Just throw a couple more in there. Throw, yeah. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, unfortunately, they were never able to question him about the Grimes sisters. But in 2013, a couple years after Melquist had already died, Mm -hmm. Raymond Johnson took up an unofficial investigation into the Grimes sisters' murders. Raymond Johnson, he's a retired police officer from Chicago. Yeah, so he he probably retired, got bored, and was like, I got to do something else. <laughs> I got <do> <laughs> <laughs> to keep busy. And what he did was he decided to write a book called Chicago's Haunt Detective. And in researching his book, he found out about the Grimes sisters' murders, and he decided that this case is solvable even this many years later. So he's been researching this case since 2013, and he's considered an expert on it because of all the research he's done. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Raymond Johnson's coming in here trying to clean up house. Mm-hmm. With all the junk that happened in the 50s when the girls actually went missing and nothing got done right. <laughs> Very frustrating. But he's trying, to, he's trying to clean things up. So according to him, he thinks it's Charles Leroy Melquist who did it. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, he thinks that that is who it was. But unfortunately, like we said, Melquist had died. So aside from that, we'll talk about why Raymond Johnson thinks it's him. So, apparently, Loretta, the girl's mom, had gotten two separate phone calls from a man that she believed wholeheartedly was the one who killed her daughters. Two calls from the supposed murderer. Yes, supposedly. She got the first call May 1957, and this is only about five months after the Grimes sisters' bodies were found. A man called up to taunt Loretta, like that's what she needs after all that mess oh, i hate when you hear about that shit that's so messed up i know right it's like if you hadn't done enough i mean of course there's crank calls too and i, I from what i hear she received a lot of those oh as yeah well. that too you you deserve to go to hell too yeah like why are you trying to put your name on this bullshit this fucking murder case you don't want to be associated with it but no you're gonna call up the victim's mom just to Jerks. be a dick just to be a dick just to be a dick like that's something you need to do every day i don't know (laughs) (laughs) fucking assholes but anyway (laughs) so loretta said that she had gotten a lot of crank calls but this one in particular stood out to her because he mentioned something that had not been released as part of the case he said this is what he said it's kind of a, a direct quote from what she could remember from the call 
I know something about your little girl that no one else knows, not even the police. Ooh. The small, yeah, I know, right? It's juicy. Uh, <laughs> the smallest girl's toes were crossed at the feet. Toes were crossed? Huh? Right? I don't, I don't understand. I tried to figure out what that phrase means. Like, why would he say it like that? Basically, what he meant is that Barbara, who's the, even though she's the oldest girl, she's shorter mm-hmm. than her sister, Patricia. Okay. So Barbara's toes are crossed. She just happens to have two toes that cross over each other. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. But the way he phrased it sounded kind of weird, but okay. Yes. Super weird. Super weird. But the mom knew immediately what he was talking about. She knew what her daughter's feet looked like. And she also knew that she hadn't even mentioned that really to the cops because it's not like it's pertinent information. Yeah. So whoever said it had probably seen her daughter's feet. And that's suspicious enough. That's very suspicious <laughs> and creepy. Right? Why are you looking at her toes? You must be the one who killed her. No one else would have seen her feet, especially in winter. It's not like she's wearing sandals, most likely. Yeah. So No, yeah, totally. I don't even think they were wearing, like, flip-flops and stuff back then, (laughs) you know? They would definitely wear, like, socks and shoes, especially in the winter, like you said. So, I mean, so she, based on that comment that he made, she believes that is the guy who killed her daughter. But they don't know who that was. They don't know who called her. She got a second phone call the day after Bonnie Lee Scott was found. And as a refresher, Bonnie Lee Scott was a 15-year-old girl that got killed by Melquist. Like, he went to prison for killing her. Mm -hmm. Loretta gets a call from, she says it's the same guy she talked to a year before who talked about the crossed toes. And he said on the phone call, I've committed another perfect crime. Perfect crime? Shut up. (laughs) Asshole. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he's in reference to Bonnie... He's saying he committed another perfect crime. The police are never going to catch me. Yada, yada, yada. Based on his voice, she says it's the same guy that talked to her before. So she thinks, and she was adamant about this until the day she died, that those two phone calls were from the same man. And it was probably the guy who killed her daughters as well as Bonnie. And that means, I mean, if if it's true, which, we, you know, he got convicted of killing Bonnie, Melquist, if he was the one who called her, probably killed her daughters, too. I fucked up. Yeah, that's kind of shitty. Like, <laughs> you're just gonna brag to the girl's mom. But anyway, now, <clears throat> the reason Raymond Johnson finds those two phone calls interesting, besides the cross toes reference, is that the mom said specifically, I'll never forget his voice, the way his voice sounded. Mm-hmm. Very distinctive. And according to Raymond... After he started in this investigation, he posted it on Facebook, like he made a Facebook page for the Grime sisters trying to renew interest to bring people forward who hadn't talked before. Yeah. And a new witness come forward and contacted Raymond. And this is years later, right? Oh, yeah. This was in like 2014, I believe, when he met her. So, yeah, from like 1950s to the 2010s. Yeah. Long time later. God, that is a long time. It is a really long time. I would question that witness's memory. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. So she came forward. She told him that she was friends with the Grimes sisters. She'd been hanging out with them later that night. And that she got abducted with them. So she was there 
along with them? Apparently so. Apparently whoever grabbed those girls, Patricia and Barbara, also grabbed this other lady who I, I don't have her name because she's anonymous. I don't know about this. This feels weird because three girls it is does. a lot to handle unless you have at least one other man. Like that's really, to me that just seems, uh, the logistics just don't seem right. Yeah, it seems a little suspect, doesn't it? Like maybe this person, I don't know. I don't know for sure. She could be telling the truth or she could be looking for attention. I don't know. But like you said, it is oddly suspicious that a guy would abduct three girls on one night who are all hanging out together. It doesn't, usually serial killers or, you know, lust killers or something like that, they go for easier targets. Two girls is enough. This is is enough of a a problem to be able to handle both of them. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't go for three. I don't think so anyway. But Raymond Johnson, he interviewed this witness and he said, based on details that he can't share about her testimony, that he believes she's telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, I I wish I knew what that was because it's like really hard to believe yes i know (laughs) i'm i wish i okay so the problem is right now it's still an open case in chicago so he can't he bear like when i first started researching this topic back when uh it was suggested to us the websites i were i was reading said that raymond johnson had a suspect that he wanted that he said was the suspect for sure, like he, that that was the perpetrator, but he couldn't release the name. And even since then, till now, which was what? What was that? Like a couple months ago? What was it? When again? I, when that, when uh, that topic got suggested to us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even since then, he has come forward to say that the suspect he thinks did it is Melquist. Mm-hmm. Even, and before when I was reading all these same articles that he had written, he said he couldn't release the name. But why? Like, at this point, that guy's dead. If you think it's him, go ahead and say it. Like, who are you hurting at this point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe his family. Yes. If he, had, he had kids, right? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. He had daughters. And from what Raymond Johnson understood is that the girls didn't eat girls. They're, they're definitely adults by now. Yeah. But <laughs> Melquist's daughters never knew that he had been arrested and charged with murder of a 15-year-old girl. Well, I'm so, sure they were going to figure it out. Right? I don't. I Yeah. So he that's why he was being a little sensitive about releasing Melquist's name. But this other thing, I don't know if he'll be able to say it anytime soon. I'm going to keep an eye on it, obviously, to see if he is ever able to say more information about this new witness and why he thinks that she's telling the truth. But there is one thing that he did say about what uh, her testimony. And it was that she, she said the man who kidnapped all three of these girls, including her, had a very distinctive voice that she'll never forget until the day she dies. So what was distinct about it? I don't know. That part, I don't know. Okay. But. Like, anybody's voice can be distinct. <laughs> like, if you, you remember it. Like, I, I don't know. Did he have a lisp or an, a very strong accent? <laughs> like, be. tell me, Paige. Yeah, tell me. Right. Come on, Raymond Johnson. Tell me. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Raymond Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
I don't know what was distinctive about it. I don't know what Loretta found distinctive about the guy who called her either. I would like to know. Is it super deep? Is it, like you said, is there a lisp of some sort? Did he have a strange accent for Chicago? I don't know. But because both parties, Loretta and this new witness, have said that the guy had a distinct voice, Raymond Johnson made a connection, thinks it's Melquist. (laughs) Or that whoever those two talked to had a distinctive voice and that Melquist killed Bonnie Lee Scott. And so he connected the puzzle pieces. He thinks it's Melquist. And I'm not saying he's wrong. I just, I, that, that's kind of a leap to me Mm -hmm. to make. Yeah. But I do like, I, you know, instinctively, I kind of think he's right. It was probably Melquist. I agree. We're, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, from our limited viewpoint right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because we have all the information. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I wish. But we have a lot of the information because, you know, people have been looking into this for a long time. Yeah. But despite the fact that we can't talk to Melquist anymore, Raymond thinks Melquist has told someone before he died or even like kind of around the time of the crimes. Raymond thinks that Melquist told someone, had some sort of accomplice, something like that. There's someone out there who knows what happened and knows who did it. And so he's continuing to try to raise awareness of this cold case and see if anybody else comes forward. Well, I hope they do. If you know anything, please contact What's-His-Face. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find Raymond Johnson on Facebook, I guess. I don't know. He says he's got a Facebook group. So I tried to look on it, but I don't like Facebook myself. I hate it. So every time (laughs) I open it up, I close it out again because I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It's just too messy for me. I got you. <laughs> but uh, to, to close us out. So that's the case. That's our episode. But I do want to give a little, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a little tidbit of information from Raymond. Raymond Johnson's book is Chicago's Haunt Detective. Okay. Haunt and, Detective? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Ghosts. Okay. He wants... He, I think, so he started, after his retirement, he started trying to write Chicago's Haunt Detective, and he found out about the Grimes sisters because there's two paranormal activities, stories, whatever you want to call it, attached to German Church Road where the girls' bodies were found. Do they see the girls walking around? That would be kind of interesting, but no, no, nothing like that. Um. The first haunting is a residual haunting, and it's called like the ghost car of German Church Road. What happens is, this is urban legend, you know, to the max. Okay. You go to German Church Road. If you can find the spot where the Grimes sisters' bodies were found, um, you hang out there in the middle of the night. You might hear a car drive up, but you won't see a car drive up. Then you'll hear the trunk pop. You'll hear two heavy, you know, you'll hear thuds in the dirt next to the road. Possibly, yeah, possibly bodies being dumped. I don't know. And then the car drives away. You, all of this is audio. You don't see anything. So that's kind of spooky. And then in the second paranormal instance that he found, he talked to a guy who said as a teenager in the uh, 70s or 80s the guy went with his buddies mm-hmm. to an abandoned house on german church road close to where the girls bodies had been found and this abandoned house had 
a very long winding driveway. It was hard to see. You can't see the house from the street. Mm-hmm. So these guys were walking up this long driveway to get to this haunted house that were su- that was supposedly haunted by the Grimes sisters. And when they got close enough to see the house, they saw a little white girl's face in the window. Why should I be white? Because the Grimes sisters were white. Okay. (laughs) So they think it's the Grimes sisters. They freak out and run away and, you know, are convinced to this day that that house was haunted. Yeah, I'd I'd be convinced too. That sounds, that sounds scary. Yeah. I'm scared. Middle of the night, rural country road. Hell yeah, I'd be scared too. And I probably would have done that with my friends (laughs) if I was close by. (laughs) I would have been the the weenie that stayed in the car. I'd be like, I'm just going to watch the car. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I might have done that too, but I, at least I would have been there. <laughs> like, <laughs> been like, guys, this is trespassing. We shouldn't do it. Yeah. You never know. Maybe there's like squatters living in there. Maybe it's a meth lab now. <laughs> I mean, really, I'd be more afraid of that than ghosts. I want to yeah, get Yeah, honestly, that's what I would be afraid of. If I could be assured it was just ghosts, I would have gone. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the two hauntings associated with the Grimes sisters. Wow. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Intense. This is a crazy story. It's upsetting because these girls, you know, we don't know what happened officially. Yeah. And then you got the ghosts on top of it. That's, this is a a double whammy. Yeah, totally. That house that I just mentioned, it actually burned down in the 80s. So it's gone. It's probably for the best. Yeah. And I'm sure it's probably teenagers who did it. Starting a meth lab. Starting a meth lab. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Got to make money somehow. I mean, I mean, I I worked at a bank and you worked at Cinnabon, right? Yep, yep. So I'm like, there's other ways to make money. Maybe not quick money, but uh. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't open a meth lab personally. I but. don't even like science that much. Yeah, I know, right? I don't. I never liked chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> We love you guys listening. Thank you so much. And you know what? If you want to find us on social media, be sure to check us out on Instagram at Near Death Dolls Podcast. You can tweet us on the Twitter at Near Death Dolls. And please send us an email at Near Death Dolls at gmail.com with your creepy, weird personal experience you want us to share. If you do that, please put in the subject line listener story or dear dollies so we know that that is for the listener episode. Or if you guys have any topics you want to suggest, like this one, the murder of the Grime Sisters was suggested to us. Lisa and I had never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you guys have something you want us to do, we'll do it. Maybe. <laughs> we'll try. We'll do our best. Uh, exactly. And if you like what you heard, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also help us by taking a screenshot of whatever you're listening to. Whichever listen. <laughs> you can also help us by taking a screenshot uh, while you're listening to our episode. And you can share it on Instagram or Twitter. That's a simple, fast, and free way to support us. And you can share it either on your stories or you can share it uh, in your feed. It's whatever. Uh, but we appreciate it either way. Sweet, darling doll faces. Y'all just keep on being amazing. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. That was a wet one. (laughs) Just kidding. A special thanks to Sam Hears for our art and music. If you'd like to see more from him, check out the links in our show notes. 